Hi, so good to be with you. What a blessing. What a blessing to be able to share this time together. I know it's church different than we planned. We're online. It's okay. We will meet again in a different way. But in the meantime, we get to do this. And I'm so thankful. Our focus is going to be on Joseph. Going to continue with a study in his life. Try to apply it for such a time as this. The idea of going up and over. He's a perfect example of it. How to have an overcoming life of faith. Specifically, we want to get into the idea of how to, how to deal with danger zones in life. All of us are going to have them. Moments of intense pressure, real temptation to get off course. How do we overcome? How do we prevail? How do we grow in those moments? How do we make good decisions? How do we hold our lines? All these things we're going to look at. Hey, but let me start by praying, asking God's blessing over our time. And even now, Lord, we come to you. Help us to focus our attention, delineate the scope of our attentiveness, push aside anything else that might be trying to get into this moment. Let's just create the space for you to talk to us. We want to not only learn, we want to hear your spirit and what it might say to us. Lord, we say to you even now, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Our prayer is that you would be with us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis 39. We're going to jump right in, pick right back up. Follow with me. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, man of extreme power, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Remember, they had bought him from Joseph's brothers who had sold him. The Lord was with Joseph, we're told, verse 2, and he became a, a successful man, a successful man within the framework of limitation and captivity. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that his Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. He had the touch. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And Potiphar made him overseer of his house and he put him in charge of all that he had. And from that time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field, both in home and in business. I mean, every aspect of Potiphar was blessed because of Joseph, not just because of the skill he brought to the table, because Joseph had a natural gift of administration, but also because of the character that Joseph had and the favor of the Lord that was on him. You know, when you bless the things that God's blessing, you get blessed. That's the way it works in the kingdom. Verse six. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Look at this. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. So comprehensive was his delegation to Joseph that really the only thing that Potiphar did was show up and eat. (laughs) Everything else Joseph was doing, he was running it all. But then we're told something, something happened, something changed the situation. A development occurred. A development that was going to be pivotal in the course of Joseph's life. A development that was going to force him to make a decision that he honestly didn't want to have to make. It's going to set a lot of things in motion, but here it begins, verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife, that is Mrs. Potiphar, She cast her eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me, sleep with me. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, I I, I can't do that. Because of of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He 
You know this. He has put everything that he has in my church. He's met, He's actually not even greater in this house than I am. He's given me such authority and flexibility. Nor has he kept anything from me except you. Because you're his wife. How then, Joseph says, can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How could I do that? And as she spoke with Joseph, look at the phrase here, day after day. As she spoke with Joseph, day after day, wow, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. He wouldn't get close and he didn't want to be alone. He tried to make a plan and execute it as much as possible. Now, I need to say this, and it would be remiss of me if I didn't, um, and that is that we need to acknowledge that the reality is both today and has been the case for generations that far more sexual advance and certainly harassment takes place in the opposite direction. We can acknowledge that it is and has always been that way. Men have typically been the aggressor. But I think, I hope, at least in the realm of harassment, that we are at a time such as ours making progress on this. I think we are. But when it comes to adultery, I think the lines are a little more blurred. I, I do. Uh, and in this situation, the Bible makes it clear that Mrs. Potiphar was the initiator and she was the one that was pressing for the engagement. That's important for us to remember. And I hope we don't miss the phrase day after day. There was, that's the Bible's way of saying this was relentless, right? There was a relentlessness to this temptation. There was a relentlessness to the situation that was very difficult and it put enormous pressure on Joseph. And I think that um, some of us can relate to this. Maybe, maybe not directly. I, it's possible. But I think I'm just talking about the idea of being under tremendous pressure and duress. And this is a season where many of us are feeling a little bit overwhelmed by some things that we're having to deal with. The season is unique. The challenges seem to be more pronounced in terms of just staying on a good path, in a good place, both in our way of thinking and also staying out of trouble, staying out of places that will lead us down a dark, a dark road or get us stuck in addictive patterns that are unhealthy. Might even be ways of thinking. You know, we're spending so much more time uh, in digi in, in, on digital and in virtual meetings and social media and our entertainment. And it's just, if we're not careful, we can lose our growing edge and we can get stuck. We can fall back and we can actually do things that are going to damage us. Or if you're like me, you might feel at times that it reduces our confidence in terms of our ability to move forward with the things that God has put into our heart to pursue. Like we feel like maybe we're just not ever going to really get this thing together. and We don't want to be a hypocrite. So we, we can very easily fall back and give up or quit. Now we don't quit literally. Sometimes we may, but a lot of times it's just in our pursuing of the right things or our willingness to contend for things, we start to feel defeated, depressed, discouraged. Sometimes when we see our lack or our weakness, um, it just takes the wind out of us. What I love about Joseph is he is a man who seemed to have the ability to, to set up a, 
an example for us to follow. And, and in his case, you know, remember his temptation, the temptation that Joseph had was to meet what we may see as a legitimate desire, but in an illegitimate way. I mean, his feelings, the, the, it was okay to have those feelings of, of a need. And, but Joseph knew that if that was not ever going to be God's way for him, it couldn't be, you know, the, the, essence of temptations to sin, which by the way, when we use that word, it's a word that Christians often use and we've been using for centuries. We talk about how Jesus died for our sins. When we talk about sin, we're talking about that element of willfulness and this, this concept of missing the mark or having a gap, a spiritual need, something that creates a vacuum for us or is damaging. We think of other words that the Bible uses to describe sin. It could be things like lawlessness or one interesting phrase is uh, it's, it's transgression, which means to overstep a boundary, right? The idea of transgression has to do with overstepping the beneficial boundaries that God appoints, the, the boundaries that God places in our lives that flow out of his love and justice and holiness. Now, I hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, the, the Bible is, you know, it's, 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 it's all about rules about what you can and can't do. It's always telling us, you know, it's this sin stuff. And I go, yeah, I mean, there's an element of truth to that, I suppose. But really, you're missing the point. If you think that the Bible is about things we're not supposed to do just because it wants to keep us from enjoying things in life, you're, you're totally, you've got it wrong because... This isn't about the Lord trying to keep us from good things. It's about the Lord trying to give us his blessing. It's about the Lord trying to give us true freedom and liberty. And that liberty is never found in going our own way. Our own way, there is a way that seems right to a man, Jesus said, but that way leads to death. Jesus always talked about how his real purpose was not to keep us from things that were good, but actually to keep us from being bound by things that though they look good, actually are very damaging. The Lord's way is a way of life. He said, my words, they are spirit and they are life. He never has God, God. And, and how do we know what is right? The Bible says, by, by looking at your word, your word is a light into my path and a lamp into my feet. I mean, if we want to know what is right in God's eyes, we want to know what actually allows for blessing to flow in our life at the deepest level. Then we'll look at his words. We'll sit with them. We'll honor them. We'll hear the scriptures. We'll embed them into our soul. When we do that, you know, those words can guide us. They will provide a path for us, a way of knowing what is right in the Lord's eyes. In other words, this is just not some arbitrary sense of what is good. It's good that is found on the basis of how God defines it in his words. But when we think about it, when we pull away and dive into things that are not helpful, we may think that, you know, we're free, but actually we're actually harming ourselves. That's what Jesus taught us. Think about it this way. It's almost like driving on a road, like a, a very narrow road on a high elevation. Just in our minds, I imagine a road, maybe it's one lane. And those are always precarious places when you're up high, there's a cliff, there's one lane. You've got to be really careful about how you maneuver, how fast you're going. But even if it was just two-way traffic, on a very thin road in a very high elevation with cliffs over, you know, or with a cliff right on the other side, like a deep ravine, where if you fall asleep at the wheel, you make a mistake, you can fly off and that's it. A lot of times those signs, 
those warning signs to say, slow down, curve ahead. I mean, think about it. That's, that's for our, our safety and our well-being. But you know, we're also given in those places something else, aren't we? Think about it. What are we given? A guardrail. And is that rail meant to help or hurt us? Just saying, that rail around the edge on a road that overlooks a steep place, right? That is designed to protect us, to keep us from going over the edge. It's designed to save our lives. And a lot of times I'll just notice every now and then when I'm in some obscure road way up there and it's precarious driving and you got to stay focused, I'll see those guardrails. And a lot of times those safety rails, you'll see bangs and dents and nicks, and sometimes they're torn a little bit, but you certainly will see a scrape or paint because it actually kept somebody from flying off the edge. And that's what God's word is. God's word is designed to keep us safe. It's to give us life, not take away life. One of the great misnomers is that somehow God is against us. Now God is for us. He's not trying to hold us back. He's trying to keep us. <laughs> you know, I think back and I, I go there, there is a prayer that the Lord gave us Call it the Lord's prayer, right? I was reminded of it. And a lot of times I look at the Lord's prayer and I say, it has, it, 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 it's like a beautiful diamond with different facets and at different times you can look at it and learn different things. Like it seems so simple, but yet it has great great meaning and depth and nuance. What did Jesus say when they asked him, you know, teach us how to pray. He said this, pray says like this, say our father who is in heaven, our father in heaven, holy, hallowed is your name set apart. You are unlike any other, your kingdom come, your will be done. Let your loving realm abound over us, right? On earth as it is in heaven, let it be so. And then what did Jesus say? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do we see something about this prayer? It's something I noticed. I guess I'd noticed it because I was thinking about it in relation to the dailiness. There is in this prayer an idea, and it's one of the keys for overcoming in challenging places. It's the dailiness. Give us this day, our daily bread. It's the reminder that I am to start each day by accepting the invitation of God to draw near to him, to submit myself afresh to Christ, to say, Lord, I am yours. And I receive your love for me to see myself as one loved a beloved son, a beloved daughter, right? But even more, and I think maybe it's the first time I ever really saw it this way. Maybe you did already, but I don't know. Just it hit me like the daily invitation that the Lord was reminding us to take advantage of is an opportunity to reset things afresh. And how important is that when we have a sense of failure or a sense that we've not handled something correctly or that we're feeling defeated about what was and can't be actually changed, that we are given the invitation to start anew. Do you see that? That means something. Today, every day can be the first day. 
I'm talking about the power of today, a new beginning. Today is a new day. Today is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and I'll be glad in it. Why not? Right? I don't have to be bound. I don't have to be bound by mistakes of my past, guilt of my past. I do. There, there are some things that I'll have to deal with the consequences of them, sins I need to repent of. No question. But the invitation is to experience grace every day, to be set free again, to live again in our promise, to never simply accept uh, anything other than the goodness of God as a new promise over our life. Do you see what I'm talking about every day? Give us this day, our daily bread. Now I, I look back at that and I say, wow, because every day we were told Joseph had to deal with this issue. And some of us might, again, like I mentioned earlier, be feeling something similar. There might be an issue in our lives. It might be connected to this season and just how we're feeling about it, where it's almost like every day we are having to battle through something that is trying to define us, take us down a dark place that we don't want to go. You know, that's what we're talking about. And by the way, I don't think we should assume that Joseph didn't want to yield. I mean, we shouldn't see him as some automaton with no feelings, that somehow he was exempt from human passion. <laughs> he was a human being. He, he was a, a young man in his 20s. I mean, he had needs just like the rest of us. He's, it was no different, right? He felt pain. And we know he was an emotional man. He was. That'll show up again later on. It showed up when he was sold by his brothers. But one of the things about Joseph, and it's another key for overcoming in the difficult places, is that he had an integrity. By that, we mean that he had a very powerful core. Like he, was, he was centered in his faith in such a way that I, I just find him inspiring. Uh, for one thing, you know, we talk about the core you know, a lot of times you, you'll talk to people in athletics or trainers, and they will say that one of the things that we tend to neglect is our core. Because even though the core is in the most glamorous part of, of our body, it's, it's the part that sort of holds things together and keeps our back in a good place. It keeps everything tight and, and, and centered and aligned. The core is strong. We're usually going to be strong. That, that's, it's, it has to do with athletic movement. It has to do with a lot of different things. Joseph was a man who had a very powerful spiritual core. Perhaps uh, he, he also cared for Potiphar. I mean, he, he clearly knew that it would be wrong because he would be violating his trust. And I think he probably also understood it could be very dangerous as well. It was a dangerous game. And Joseph wasn't interested in playing that game. Uh, you know, I do think, though, the Bible is asserting this that the primary reason that Joseph refused to move forward with Potiphar's wife was because he saw that it was wrong in the eyes of God to do this. And in other words, it was incompatible with his love for the Lord and, and the commitment that he had to God, the God of his fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the belief system that he had been given, the, the, the way of being that he had committed himself to. 
And I'm going to take a little risk here. I'm going to sort of sit with this. I was trying to imagine the conversation, the exchange that occurred and see if you can hear the clash of worldview that I think speaks to us even today. I mean, I imagine Potiphar's wife, I mean, I imagine her in a, in a moment saying, Joseph, what's wrong with you? Right? No one's being hurt. No one's being hurt here. Potiphar's not being hurt. I mean, he doesn't care. He's not even around. He's never around. He doesn't even need to know. He doesn't need to know anything. Besides, you're in Egypt and we're modern and we're liberated and we're progressive. And well, when you, when you're in Egypt, you need to walk like an Egyptian. I'm just, I'm just kidding on that, but I know he looked like one. That's for sure. He had already adapted fully to Egyptian culture. But it's almost like he's saying, listen, she's saying to him, listen, we're urbane. You need to be liberated from your archaic backwater past and this, this silly faith of yours with its outdated mores. What's wrong with you? Come on, Joseph, look at me. Look at me. Leave your past behind. Leave your, your old ways. And then the shot that I'm sure came. What good did they do you anyway? Look at you. Look what happened to you. You just need to enjoy your life. That's what the gods want. And do we see how that sounded like another conversation? How it could have so easily sounded like another conversation at the dawn of humanity as we know it, when another whispered similar words to an innocent woman through a creature wound around a tree, suggesting that God was really keeping you from the good life. That's all but it's a lie. Or how about this one? Joseph, doesn't your God want you to be happy? Come on. Doesn't he want you to feel good? You deserve it. You deserve it. Right. But, a, but a brave conviction can be a stubborn thing. And Joseph had one. And his was anchored to a rock and that held him true in the midst of the storm. You know, it wasn't as much the fear of being discovered by Potiphar, though that threat was real and it should not be minimized. I mean, it could have been more. It, I mean, for him to step across a line like that could cost him his life. If he stepped across it, he'd be owned by it. But listen, lovers do reckless things all the time. <laughs> just like, uh, love blinds us, uh, passion blinds us, makes fools of us all. That's part of the human story. No, it really was a different kind of fear that gripped Joseph. At the end, you can see it's true. It's what we call in biblical theological circles. He had a fear of God. That is, he had a reverence and a respect for a holy and just God that held him accountable for his deeds. And with that came a corresponding deeply planted belief in the, the goodness or the rightness of his ways. And that, that overarching legitimate fear of the Lord, that reverence for the Lord really meant something to Joseph. And so it's what ultimately will hold him together. But there's a couple of things here that I do want to mention that I think are absolutely essential when we find ourselves in a difficult place where we're tempted to make a bad decision and to hurt ourselves and, and to damage our relationship with God and really to damage 
other people. Um, and that is, and that is when the heat is on, there's, there's a couple of things to remember. And I just want to connect, connect to them right now. One of them is that we are to do what Joseph did and not overestimate our capacities. So on the one hand, we're not to over, uh, overestimate our capacities. And two, we are not to underestimate our vulnerabilities. I'll say that one more time. Don't overestimate our capacities. Don't underestimate our vulnerabilities. When it comes to overestimating our capacities, we are reminded in scripture, therefore, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, therefore, the one who thinks he stands, take heed, lest they fall. Be very careful about, about overconfidence, right? Jesus taught us in the hour of the cup, in the hour of his suffering, with the cross looming upon him, after he asked the disciples to pray with him, and they fell asleep. One of the things he said is, it's echoed down time. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that is true. And what that is reminding us of is that we all have areas of unique vulnerability. You know, some of us, I just want you to hear me out on this. I think our vulnerabilities are connected to a few things. One of those things has to do with our upbringing. There's no question about it. Another aspect can be our early experiences that we had. So there's our upbringing and sort of the tenor, the tone of our experience growing up, but there's also early experiences in life that impact us and shape us and affect us, good and bad. And then on top of that, there are additional exposure points that we have as we move our, along the road of life. So we have these early exposures, we have additional experiences that shape us as we're moving along into adulthood and through adulthood. And then of course, we all have unique dispositions and you combine those four things and it creates certain weak points um, and areas of profound vulnerability. So if the right buttons are pushed, stuff comes out of us or we are almost like Superman with kryptonite. We just, we buckle. And that's why, you know, it is, it is a good thing to do two other things. And one of them is to, to practice an honest knowing of ourselves, like to know ourselves, to ask God to help us see ourselves as we really are. Like the man in James who sees himself in the mirror and doesn't forget that level of honesty, not self-consumed to the point of like, we're just all about us. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the value of humble, prayerful reflection, integrating with God's word and in conversation in such a way that we are reflecting. I, I talked to somebody um, a few weeks ago who said that, that for the last month they, were, they had a journal, they were making their journal focus of self-reflection and just looking at the way in which they were responding to things and reacting to things. What they were doing was what Frederick Buechner called listening to their life. And when we do that in a God-informed way, it can be a, a tremendously valuable thing. It's worth listening to our life, asking good questions. Why am I reacting like this? Why is this coming out of me? What need am I trying to satisfy here? Why am I drawn to this? This is not helping me. What's going on here? Why? Is part of this spiritual? Is part of this my past, my experience? 
I think I'm uniquely damaged maybe in this area that I need to be more attentive to the grace of God at work there. Because there are things that I notice that when the right buttons are pushed, this comes out of me. You know, again, we always talk about how all of us have a unique struggle because certain things, again, you combine those, those four factors, our upbringing, the culture of our, um, you know, early years, then our experiences moving forward, and then how we are exposed to life as well along the way. And then, and then you pile that into our personalities and dispositions. It, 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 we're, look, I have things that I say, someone else may go, it's nothing. Come on, get over it. But for me, it could be really crippling. And you may have something that, you know, maybe I might say, oh, it's not a big deal. It's okay. You know, just, you know, just like discipline yourself. It may not be so simple. We may have been damaged here. Now that damage may mean, you know, no, it's true. God can heal things. But a lot of times we are going to find ourselves rest, wrestling with things like a thorn in the flesh or something that really requires a tremendous amount of grace. So knowing grace, so knowing ourselves and being honest about it is huge. And then, of course, we get an advantage that Joseph did not possess. We can bring others into that conversation. One of the real benefits of being in a small group, and if you're not in one, I encourage you to get in one. Right now, it's virtual, yes, but soon we'll be able to gather in presence. But the key is having an environment where we can have relationally safe um, safety to be able to communicate our heart and pray for one another. Because we're not always going to be strong at the same time. And hopefully we're not all weak at the same time so we can bless one another. Woe to him, the Bible says, when, when they're alone, if they fall, right? But let's, let's finish up this passage. It says, but one day, verse 11, when he went to, into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me, sleep with me. But he left the garment in her hand, fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, I mean, she gets angry. So we see the last thing Joseph did in response to temptation was the only tool that he had left in his arsenal. I mean, he had been trying to avoid. He had been trying to make sure that he wasn't alone. He'd done everything he could, but finally he got, he got into a situation where he couldn't get out. And the only tool he had left in his arsenal was to run. And he did. He fled. <laughs> Listen, there is a time to linger and reason. There is a time to talk. There is a time to walk. And there's a time to run. There's a time to run. Some survival will be connected, is another principle, to distance, space creation. That's right. Some solutions for getting past a very tempting, difficult place is to create space, to change it up, shift, shift it around, get out of the situation where, we're, where we know we're vulnerable, to dropping back into, into toxic zones, we don't want to go. We don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. And, and I think it's especially true when we sense our defenses are weakening. Sometimes we can feel ourselves starting to sink. Our strength is leaving us like it's just it, it's like we know we're in trouble. And, and I'm telling you, in those places, that that's the time to run. There is a retreat that saves. Yes, there is. So much is at stake, and I think the angels watched as Joseph's destiny is determined by the choice he makes, and he made a beautiful one, as we're going to see. Oh, and one more thing I want to say is that sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we weren't, we're not able to do what Joseph did. I mean, 
I'd like to say that we always do it right, but we don't. What happens when we blow it? What happens when we make a mistake? What happens when we feel defeated? I mean, some of us feel that way right now. It's hard for us. I want to suggest that because of the Lord, we can recover from our mistakes. God is astonishingly redemptive. That means he's full of grace and he can take the worst and turn it into good. He will not throw his wounded sons and daughters on the scrap heap. God didn't do that with the human race and the Lord won't do it with you. No. He's still the one that leaves in the 99 to find the one. The bruised reed he will not break. How grateful I am for that. And the smoking flax he will not quench. If there's, any, if there's even a seed of faith in you, God's not given up on you at all. And in fact, his love will pursue us even when we try to run from him. That's why once you know him, you never really can get away. <laughs> now the hand of heaven will always be on your trail and mine too. But listen, on the other side of a big failure, which Joseph avoided, but we may not always. We may not recover everything. I need to be honest about that. But we can recover. This is important. The main things. We may not recover everything, but we can recover the main things. And that's a beautiful gift, right? It's a beautiful reminder of what God can do. And some of us know that firsthand. All right. I'm going to shift gears. we got a psalm that's going to just connect beautifully what we just shared there. Come back around. I'll bless you. I do want to remind everybody. It's our time to remind you about our time of giving. You've been amazing. This church is amazing. I love you guys. So faithful in your giving of your tithes and your offerings. So you've been doing that online. You can do it through the app. Sometimes you can even send it in if you want, if that's easier. But just so many of you have been stepping up, being faithful in the one in 10. How, how good is that? How right is that? Okay. All right. I'll see you. In a, I have a final thought to share and a blessing. So after the song, here we go. I've been trying to make sense of the sorrow that I feel Holding on for life to the only thing that's real I've only scratched the surface I barely had a taste But just a glimpse draws my heart to change And one side of you lays my sin to waste I don't need to see everything Just more of you Incomplete, and I made you look small. I've been staring at my problems for way too long. Realign where my hope is set until you're all that's left. Just a glimpse draws my heart to change. And one side of you lays my sins away. I don't need to see everything.
you know, there really is a best way. <laughs> it was Joseph's way, wasn't it? Initially, things didn't look so good, but as we shall see, he's gonna be like a vine growing over a wall, finding his way to the light. And I just pray that the Lord would help us to be like Joseph and learn to grow up and over so that we too can magnify him. I think it was Martin Luther King who said, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. And I know that's a twist on our, our way of talking about things because we've been talking about how there are times to run away from things, but there's also times when we need to do whatever we can to keep moving forward. And that's my word for you, my closing word for you. Keep moving forward, my friends, my brothers and sisters. Let's not give up. Let's not lose our courage. Let's not lose our hope. Let's trust the Lord because he's so good and he's so God. We want to so good and we want to so God. So don't forget how greatly loved you are. You are blessed. May he keep you spirit, soul, and body in Jesus' name.